Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We're finishing off this series called uh, Comfort. And today I just want to talk about our call for help, our cry for help. I'm just going to jump right into the verse that we, uh, that we start off the series with. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. First week, we talked a little bit about this, that we don't always have that understanding of God, right? That he's a God of comfort and a God of compassion. That oftentimes the... Me- image that we had of, have of God is that of a father who is distant, who is careless, or powerless. And so we hear these lies, we have a wrong theology about God, that God, um, maybe I'm struggling right now, but God doesn't care. Or maybe he does care, but he can't do anything about my problems, right? And so Paul corrects that. He gives us this, this right theology. He's the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, there's always a so that for Paul. Always. Like, you're not the end game. You yourself, personally, are not the end game. It's not like you exist so that you can just get from God and that's it. He wants to bless you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to heal you. He wants to do all kinds of things in your life. But when you receive that, there's this so that that's always attached to it. So that something can come out of that. And so in this case, Paul says, so that we can comfort those in any trouble. So we receive comfort from God so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So we've been talking about this comfort but not from a theoretical standpoint. We've been talking about more from an experiential standpoint, right? Like uh, some of you understand what I'm talking about when I talk about comfort from an experiential standpoint because you can look back in your own story, your own time, when you were struggling, when you had challenges going on in your life, when when there was difficulty happening inside of you and through you, and then like in a supernatural way, you felt a peace that surpasses all understanding. You felt a joy that was incomprehensible, and it wasn't anything that you generated. It wasn't anything that you worked up. It wasn't a podcast that you listened to. It's just something inside of you just rose up, and it was the comfort of God being poured into you, and you understand this not from a theoretical standpoint. You understand it from an experiential standpoint. You have received the comfort of God in your life. And I know that I have, and I know some of you have. And so as a church, that's what we want to be. We want to be a church that receives the comfort of God, receives his compassion, right? But then we are in a position to then give it away to others. People who walk through these doors that are struggling in, 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 in bad times so you and I can actually be a minister to them. Amen. I mean, you, you understand this. We all understand this. Like in, in the flying, when you fly commercially, you know, they, 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 there's a flight attendant who will always give instructions. Like before you start taxing off, they, give you, they pull out that fake seatbelt. Like it's, it's really it's a fake seatbelt. It's like just like this. Who sits in that, right? And it's, it's too small for anybody to sit in. They pull out that fake seatbelt and then they start explaining all the instructions. And one of the instructions they give is that in case of loss of cabin pressure, these masks are going to drop from the ceiling. It may, and they say something, I, don't, I can't really quote it because I generally don't listen to it, but 
But it say something like this, like, you know, the oxygen may not be flowing right away, but, but it will be. You know, like, and I'm like, I'm skeptical of that. If it's not flowing, why is it not flowing? But anyways, they say, so the drop, it's going to drop from the ceiling. And then, and then here's the additional instruction they give. Put your mask on first before you help the person next to you put on their mask. Right? Like before you take care of the child that's sitting next to you or the grandparent that's sitting next to you, make sure that you have oxygen first. Before you give them oxygen, make sure that you have oxygen. And this is also a general spiritual principle as well. That if you want somebody that you're in relationship with to experience peace and joy, you need to experience peace and joy. Right? Like you have, have to have experienced that. If you only talk, if you have it and you expect them to have it, you're just talking about it from a theoretical standpoint. But if you can speak from it from experience, then it makes all the difference in the world. And so it is with comfort. If you, we want to be a church that receives the comfort of God so that we can then give that comfort away to others. Like we want God to work in us so that he can work through us. And that applies to every aspect of our, of our lives. If you want to be used by God in your life, you've got to experience God in your life. Amen? Amen. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about this comfort. He's not speaking about it theoretically. He's talking about it very personally, very vulnerably. You know, he's, he's doing this. Like, he lets everybody know what's going on. Like, if there's anybody, like, if there's anybody that you would think that should, should not or would not have difficulty in life, you would think it would be the Apostle Paul, right? Like, Paul, I mean, he wrote... Two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul is this amazing hero of the faith. You would think that Paul would have it all together. And yet, Paul, again and again, talks about feeling overwhelmed and pressed. He opens his heart to this church and how, how he needs help from God and how he needs help from other people. And so what Paul does here is he models spiritual maturity. <clears throat> That's what he's doing. He's showing us what it looks like to be mature. Like when you're mature, you are willing to say, hey, I need help. God, I need help. Hey, I need help. There's this lie that goes around that says, look, spiritual, like we're on this journey of spiritual, spiritual maturity that when we get to that place, when we are spiritually mature, we're like self-sufficient. We don't need help from anybody. But you need to understand something. That's a lie. And it's a lie that's based in self-righteous pride. And that self-righteous pride will ultimately create a fall in your life. <clears throat> so spiritual maturity is recognizing that you need God's help and the help of others too. Paul expresses it here in, in verse eight. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Like Paul is expressing, he says, we have been having trouble and we want you to know about it. Like he's not holding it back. He's not hiding it from them. He's letting them know. We were crushed. This is the trouble there. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Like you see the vulnerability. You hear the vulnerability in Paul. He says, we couldn't handle it. We thought we, thought we weren't going to survive. In fact, he says, we expected to die. So Paul is expressing his heart. He's opening up his life to him. But as a result of this experience that they went through... <clears throat> As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves 
and learn to rely on God, only on God who raises the dead. And this is how sometimes the worst thing that happens to you becomes the best thing that's ever happened to you. None of us want bad things to happen to us. But if we can learn through the bad things that are happening, if we can learn to not trust ourselves but trust only God who raises the dead, it'll change your life. So Paul goes on in verse 10, he says, and, we, and he did rescue. So you could see in, in verses 8 through 11, you can see there's this tone shift. Like Paul says, I'm sharing this with you because we really were struggling. We're really, it was difficult. We thought we were going to die. And then, but that, that feeling that we had turned into supernatural, turned into this thing that we were not going to trust ourselves. Instead, we're going to trust God. And then he goes on to say, this is what God did. He did rescue us from mortal danger. Like we thought we were going to die. We were under so much pressure. We were going to die, but God rescued us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. So going through this experience for Paul has caused him to place his confidence on God and he will continue to rescue us and you are helping us. And here's where Paul kind of includes others. Like God is helping us, but you are helping us too. And, he, and you are helping us by praying for us. So Paul says he's feeling crushed and overwhelmed. He calls out to God for help. And what does God do? He helps him with other people. <clears throat> and here's what, where, we, where we want to start, right? I mean, it seems obvious, but some, some, some things that are obvious are not easy to do. And that is calling for help begins with admitting you need help. Now, I'll be honest with you, this right here, this is really hard for me. Like, I, I'm from that generation, I guess, I learned how to, like, I was taught, just do this on your own. Be strong. Come on. Be a man. I mean, literally, those are words. Be a man. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That kind of mentality, right? And so, like, it's hard. Like, I may be lost, you know, driving, can't find directions, you know, I'm lost. I know, in my head, I know I'm lost, but <clears throat> I'm not admitting it. Christy knows I'm lost, my wife. My kids in the car might know I'm lost, right? But my pride gets in the way. I mean, I don't want to admit that I'm lost. But unless I admit that I'm lost, I, I'm not in a position to receive directions from somebody. And that's how it is in life as well, Right? Until we admit that we need help, we are not in a position to receive help from God. And so the question to wrestle with is not, is not do I need help? Because all of us need help. All of us. I know, I know there's a few of you out there, like, not me. Yeah, they, they do, I don't. <laughs> we all need help. So the question is not, do I need help? The question is, what? What is keeping me from recognizing that I need help? And I submit to you that I think it's pride that keeps us from recognizing that we need help. So as it relates to this talk this morning, um, I think one way that to define pride is embarrassment. Like we feel embarrassed, right? We're just a little bit embarrassed that I'm in the situation that, that I'm in that I need to actually confess to somebody else that I'm struggling here. So I'd rather just not do that because I'm embarrassed by it, right? Right? <clears throat> 
Or maybe it's something you got yourself into and, and you, you did it. You, you, you made this happen for yourself. You're struggling because you made this happen for yourself. It was a decision you made, a choice you made, a thing you said that puts you in this trouble and, uh, and you're embarrassed about it. Like you're not going to tell anybody about it. And so this mentality sets in like, well, just because you put yourself into it, you should get yourself out of it. And it seems logical, doesn't it? But it's really not the gospel. Like we could talk ourselves into getting ourselves out of our problems. And I'm not subjecting, I'm not suggesting to you that, that you need to sit back and do nothing. But the gospel is not, hey, you got yourself into it, you better get yourself out of it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you got yourself into it, you can't get yourself out of it. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much how intelligent you are, no matter how strong you might think you are, you just can't get yourself out of it. But Jesus can get you out of it, and that's really the message of the gospel. And yet, we resist it because of pride. Or maybe it's because you've just waited so long to ask for help that now you just, it's just hard to ask. You're kind of embarrassed to ask. I watched a documentary the, uh, the other day, or actually it's been a couple months ago, of a of a 34-year-old woman who had a 300, listen to this, a 300-pound tumor removed. I know, it seemed like I heard that. I'm like, okay, where, where, I want to see that. So I looked it up and I found it, sure enough. It was twice her natural body weight, the tumor was. So they were interviewing her, they were asking questions. They said, hey, why did you wait so long to get help? And she gave sort of the normal answers, you know, I was, I was in denial. It was small at first, but it just kind of kept growing. And by the time it got bigger, I just, was, I, just did, I just was denying that it was there, you know. And finally, she came to this point where she said, they asked her, why, why did you wait so long? She said, by the time I realized it was a problem, I was too embarrassed to ask for help. I was too embarrassed to ask for, her, for help. And the more embarrassed she was, the bigger the tumor grew. The bigger the tumor grew, the less likely she was going to ask for help. And when she didn't ask for help, the bigger the tumor grew. And it turned into this vicious cycle to where now it was a 300-pound tumor. And I think this is a cycle that some of you are caught in spiritually. It started off as a little tiny little sin or a tiny little tumor in you. But you were embarrassed about it, so you didn't ask for help. And so you didn't ask for help, so the tumor grew, the sin grew more. And it didn't ask for help because it's embarrassing, and then it just got bigger and bigger, and it's this vicious cycle that's just circling inside of you. And now it's so big, you're not going to tell anybody. In fact, you're going to find other shortcuts. You're going to find other ways out of it because you're just not going to expose yourself. <clears throat> well, listen, the key... The key to receiving blessing from God, the key to receiving comfort from God is admitting to ourselves that we need help. It unlocks the supernatural blessing from God. The Bible says when you humble yourself, what does he do? He lifts you up, right? Not when you're humbled, like we all get humbled. Like I got humbled playing basketball the other day. Realized I can't do that anymore. That's not what I'm talking about. 
Talk about when you humble yourself, when you make the decision, when you say, I need help. One of the most humbling things in the world is to say to somebody, I need help. I need help, right? The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, you know, and the Beatitudes is basically this teaching that Jesus is giving about how to live a blessed life. And the very first Beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember that one? Everybody remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Most of us read, blessed are the poor in spirit, and we're like, oh, that sounds really nice. Not sure what it means, but it sounds really nice, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know if I really want that kind of blessing, the poor in spirit kind of blessing. I want the rich in spirit kind of blessing. And so that's kind of how we look at this. We're just not really sure what this is really talking about, but Jesus is saying this, it's, a very, it's very critical for us. What he's saying is, is blessed are the poor, because when you're poor in spirit, you recognize that you need God's help. You're aware of it. You know that you need God's help when you're poor in spirit. Like if you're rich in spirit or middle class in spirit, you don't get the same blessing. It's only... It's only when you recognize that you're bankrupt that you put yourself in a position to be able to receive from God. Amen? So, I'm, 1984, I was, a, I, I was in college. I was at the University of Texas in Arlington. And, um, and I was also working a night job. I was working as a security guard as a night job. Back then, it was crazy. It was 1984. I, I got my security license, security uh, professional license um, by going to three weeks of security training. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding you. You know, I, I worked for a company called Network Security. They, I drove up in my Honda, did this three-week training in North Dallas, went back to the office in South Dallas where the office was, and I drove up in my Honda. They slapped two magnets to the side of my Honda, said Network Security, handed me a belt with a with a, uh, a, a 357 on it, and uh, no, sorry, a 38 on it, and, uh, uh, and a shotgun. <laughs> Three weeks. <laughs> yeah, they, I don't know if they do that anymore, but I don't recommend it. Um, <clears throat> and so, so I, you know, I was, my, the job I was on was, it was patrolling apartment complexes late at night. These were apartment complexes that were, that were not they were under construction. No, nobody lived in them. And so I was just going, making sure there was no vandalism going on or theft or whatever. And so I'm driving through these apartment complexes. Driving home around 3 o'clock in the morning on Interstate 20, going from Arlington towards where I lived in Duncanville. There's a road called Park Road that back then was a, pretty much a desolate road. And so I, I'm driving and I exit Park Road to make a shortcut to my house. And as I'm exiting, I start hearing that flap, 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 you know, the, the sound of a flat tire, Right? So I pull over and, you know, I, I pull over to change a tire and all of a sudden this panic set in like, wait a minute, I've never changed a tire on this car. Is there a spare in the back? I don't even know if there's a spare in the back. Is there a, a, a jack to jack the car up, you know? Or sometimes you might have the jack, but then you don't have the thing to take the lug nuts off. You know, like, I, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, right? And this is before cell phones. And so I'm standing there, and I go to the back of the car, and sure enough, there's a, there's a spare tire, and there was a jack. It was, all, it was a Honda, so it was all neatly pl placed in there. It was one of those little fake tires, replacement tires, you know. So I pull the thing out, and I start rolling it to the front to, to, to change the tire out, but I noticed that the spare was like all the way to the ground. Like it was, the rim was touching the ground as I'm rolling it. I'm like, is this spare all right? You know, it's like, uh, it's flat too. 
So now I'm like, I'm standing there like in a uniform, you know, and I had taken the belt off, so at least I didn't have the gun around me, you know. I'm standing in this uniform and three o'clock in the morning on this desolate road thinking, what am I going to do? About five minutes later, a guy in a truck drives by. He's on the opposite side of the road. He sees me there on the side of the road. He rolls his window down and he says, hey, buddy, you need some help? Like, I should have said, yes, my, my spare is flat, you know? I should have said something like that, but there was this, I was like standing there in uniform, like I'm, I, I, my pride got a hold of me. Like, I didn't want him to think that I was unprepared. I didn't want him to think that I was an idiot, that I don't even know how to change my flat, you know? That's what I thought. And so I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'll be fine. And he's like, all right, and he kept driving. <laughs> And in my mind, I thought, I was thinking, I, I, can, I can, I'm, hey, I'm studying engineering. I can figure out how to invent air to go inside of this tire. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking of something, you know, trying to figure out how to get air in this, in this spare tire, right? Well, I sat in my car for two more hours because not another vehicle drove by on this desolate road. And so it was around six o'clock in the morning, another truck drove by and I flagged them down. By this time, I had come to my senses that I did need help, and so... I flagged him down. I said, hey, my spare is flat. Can you help me out? He took me to a gas station, filled it up, took it back, you know. Fortunately, it did, it did hold air and um, <clears throat> went and replaced my tire. Now, here's the deal. Um, what it required for me is to humble myself. What it required for me is to put aside this sense that I don't want to look bad in front of this person that I don't know. What it required for me is to put aside my pride, Right? Now, the truth is, is that I, I could have been humbled at three o'clock in the morning, but instead I chose to be humbled at six o'clock in the morning. And this is oftentimes what happens to us, is that something starts in our lives and we know it's something that needs to change, something that needs to be addressed, there's a, a sin that has to be taken care of. And it's small and it starts at the very beginning, but we, we're like, okay, I can handle this. I can take care of this on my own. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to let anybody know that I need help. I'm not going to humble myself at all. I, and so pride is driving us. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And oftentimes it gets to a place where we have no choice but simply say, look how bad I've screwed up, right? <laughs> what we see here in 2 Corinthians is the way to oftentimes that God helps us is that he comforts us, he helps us through other people. That's how God does it again and again and again. He sends other people our way. It's one of the ways that God wants to do it now, even in our lives and even through this church. He wants to help people through people. <clears throat> Paul kind of gives us a glimpse of this in verse 11. He says, and you, talking about the Corinthians, you are helping us by praying for us. You are helping us by praying for us. Now, I showed you this picture at the very beginning. It was about the rip currents, you know, and how, how this is dangerous for people. They can get sucked into the ocean. Kind of explains what the rip current is. It's a, it's a current that's pulling out, and, um, and people get stuck in it, and they get pulled out. And then it gives us some safety instructions. Go to the next slide. Um, first safety instruction it tells you is, like, know how to swim. Okay. So if you don't know how to swim, don't try the ocean, okay? Maybe just sit on the shore or something, but don't try, don't try the ocean. That's one of the advice. The second one is never swim alone. 
Now this never swim alone, it's, it's a piece of advice that I don't know that we, I don't know that we ever really listen to it. Like I think we're such a, such a self-sufficient society that we don't really believe in this. Never swim alone. And the time that we actually believe it is when we've been swept out with a current and we're out in a place where we need help and we wish that there was somebody but near us. We wish that there was somebody that could help us. Like we oftentimes believe this after we are in trouble. Never swim alone. And this is really consistent with scripture. You're not meant to live life alone. <clears throat> I think this is one of the greatest revelations of this pandemic that we went through just the last couple of years is that we need each other. We need each other. This time of separating and being apart and not visiting the hospitals and not being around each other, this stuff actually created a lot of mental health problems for us. They tell us that suicide rates went up, mental illness went up, everything has gone up because we were away from each other. We were swimming alone. And so the instructions is never swim alone. We need each other. This, this is why the New Testament is written primarily to communities. It's written corporately. Yeah, Paul writes to a couple individuals, but it's, it's meant to be read corporately. It's meant to be understood in community because we're supposed to be doing life together. We are doing this together. And so you don't swim alone. And the time to decide not to swim alone is, not, is before you actually get sucked out by the current. This is why we put such a high emphasis on life groups around here because we believe that the whole reason, we're not just, I know, I know, you hear me say life groups, you're like, Rich, do you know how busy I am to have another meeting during the week with some other people, you know, and maybe you feel like they're strangers and you really don't want to hang out, but we value this for, for a very specific reason because we are never meant to swim alone, never meant to swim alone. And so we, you need life-giving people in your life who are going to speak to you and challenge you and encourage you. And I hear the stories over and over again. Somebody gets cancer, somebody has a baby, and now they're, you know, they have a lot of challenges because they have, they have a, you know, a new child in the house or whatever. I don't get to hear about it. Nobody comes to me and says, hey, Rich, they need help. I usually hear about it after the fact, and here's what I hear. Yeah, they, this happened, that happened, this tragedy, this difficulty, this challenge, whatever happened, but their life group stepped up. Their life group fed them. Their life group took care of them. Their life group prayed for them. This is why we are not meant to swim alone because we need people around us. So I want to give you a few things to remember in terms of needing to ask for help. The first one is the sooner the better. The sooner the better, right? The longer you wait, the further out to sea you're going to be pulled out. The longer you wait, the larger the tumor is going to grow. The sooner the better. And I, I know, because I've been in your play, I've been in your seat before, where you hear a message, somebody's talking, and you know he's talking to you, and in your mind you say, I need to do that. I need to do what, what Rich is saying. Tomorrow I'll do that. This week I'll do that. And how many times have you told yourself tomorrow, this week, and then it never happens? So today is the day. The sooner the better. Second thing is be honest. Don't, don't try to soften or minimize what you're struggling with. Just be honest. When you reach out to a friend, just say, hey, man, I need to talk to you, and listen, I'm not okay. I need some help. 
I'm struggling here. I know that's hard. And I know for guys, I mean, it's, it's hard for everybody. And I know guys especially just, we tend to be loners because we don't really want to ask for help. Just be honest about your help. Third thing is reject the lies. Because the moment you decide to ask for help, here's what Satan does. He comes in, he whispers in your way, you don't need help. You, you, don't, you don't need that person's help. You can do this on your own. You're strong enough. You're smart enough. You're able to do this. You do this on your own. That's, you don't need help. Right? And then if you respond to the enemy like saying, well, you know what? I've tried this. I've tried this on my own. I do need help. Then the enemy changes strategy on you and he sends you another, feeds you another lie, which is, oh yeah, remember the last time you asked for help? Remember what happened then? Remember how they didn't really care about your need? Remember how they didn't really even take care of you? Remember how they rejected you? Remember how they judged you? Those are all lies, so reject the lies. And so in this season, how do we as a church help people who need help? There's three words I want to give you. Prayer, presence, and your personal story. Prayer, presence, and your personal story. In verse 11, Paul kind of alludes to this. He talks about you helped us by praying for us. And here's what I've discovered about prayer. Like if you want to help somebody else, pray for them. I don't know how many times I've walked by somebody and I say, hey, how are you doing? And the, the automatic response comes, I'm fine, I'm good. And, and you know, I'm not praying for them. I don't, you know, I'm not in relationship that way with them. And so I, I don't know. But if I'm praying for somebody and I say, hey, how you doing? And they say, oh, I'm okay. It's like there's something in the spirit that just tells me, no, they're not okay. And some of you have actually received this from me where you say, I'm okay. And I'm like, wait a minute, but really, how are you? Because I'm praying for you and I believe that God is, wants to do something great things in your life and I know that things are not good. So prayer is a way that we can help other people. Second thing is presence. When somebody asks for help, we may feel like we have to you know, say the right words or we have to do the right thing. I'm that way, I'm a fixer by nature. Like you come to me with a problem, you say, hey, this is my problem, this is what's going on in my life and, and immediately I forget about how you're feeling about it. I don't think about your feelings about your problem. I just want to figure out how to fix your problem. And so I'm like, that's what I'll do. It's like, well, let me, let me fix it. Now, for you ladies out there, I, I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Anyways, I probably shouldn't even go there. Um, but, but I can't tell you the number of times. I know none of you do. You, I'm the only jerk in this room, okay? So just so you do it. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen from somebody that I'm not going to tell you about. Um, <clears throat> Sometimes the most comforting thing you can do is just be present. Just be present. Just walk with them. Listen to them. That's it. Yeah, it's interesting is because one of the ways that the Holy Spirit is described as is he's our comforter and it literally means coming up alongside us. He's the paraclete who comes alongside us. Alongside us, meaning not a whole lot's happening here, it's just that he's present. Like I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm struggling, but I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit 
And I believe that what God is calling us as a church to do is be like that, to come alongside people and just be present. Be present. Third thing is your personal story. This is what Paul does in 2 Corinthians. He uses his own journey to help people. He speaks to them very personally, very vulnerably about what he's going through. And some of you know this. Some of you understand the idea, the power of your personal testimony because you've experienced it. Like you in this room, some of you in this room, you've been through some really difficult things in life. Maybe there's a drug addiction that you've broken or maybe a difficult marriage that you, that that's no longer exists, but you, you managed to come out of it, you know, with strength and, 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 and you're doing okay. God wants to use you. He wants to use your story to touch others. This is what Paul does. And he says this in second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. He says, we, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like, like look what he says. We're like, we're like fragile clay jars containing this treasure. We resist that. We don't want to be fragile clay jars. We want to be strong steel jars, right? We're fragile clay jars containing this treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God. So Paul is presenting here a scenario. He's saying, listen, this is how you navigate life, by understanding that you are a clay jar so that God's power can work inside of you. If you think you're strong, if you think then what you're doing is you're eliminating God's power from actually working on your behalf. He says, it's not from ourselves. Like I didn't discover some self-help approach or I'm not so self-sufficient that I can do it for myself. He goes on, he says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, we are, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Th- through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that, and here's that phrase he gives again, the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So I don't know if you're catching what Paul's saying here. He says, but if you, if you understand, if you get just this glimpse of what Paul is saying, he says, we struggled, we admitted that we needed help, and God's power got manifest in our life. That's the power of testimony. Paul shares this testimony of his struggle and how God speaks and God works and does a miracle in his life, and that results in a witness for this Corinthian church. And that's why when we were watching that video of Nick Magnotti, who was dying with appendix cancer, and they, were asked, they asked him the question, hey, two words to describe yourself, or a word to describe yourself, and he says, blessed. I'm blessed. Now, that may not sound like a whole lot to you because you're not really struggling with cancer, but for the people in our church who were struggling with cancer or had gone through cancer, they understood. They got it. They said, I, I identify with Nick. I know what he's talking about. And out of that story, out of that message, out of his testimony, out of his own story, I am comforted. I'm going to close by showing you this picture. <clears throat> I know my time is flying by, but this is a, you see these pictures all the time. These things happen. This is actually a picture of somebody who gets was uh, taken out by a rip current. They're, back, they're out here trying to survive. And, um, and so when I, you know, they, they take this picture. What, what you see here is this person gets sucked out to sea by the current. 
and he's going to drown. And so then these bystanders, they're just beachgoers, bystanders. They just went to the beach that day to just go to the beach, right? But then they decide to link arms together and, you know, arm in arm, hand in hand. They're making this human chain all the way out to where this person's at, okay? And this is how they rescue this person. actually does get rescued. This was in Florida. So I see this picture This is us. This is Life Church. This is who we're supposed to be. Now, I think of these bystanders right here. They went to the beach that day. They didn't go that day to, they're like, hey, today we're going to rescue somebody who's going to get sucked down in a rip current. That's what we're going to do. That's why we're going to the beach. That's not what they did. They went to the beach because they said to themselves, I just need a break. I want to relax. I'm going to, you know, maybe put my feet in the sand. I've got my, maybe kids are going to do some sandcastles, you know. But when they saw this, this person struggling, they stood up to help. And there's some of you in this church, you get that. Like you're not just sitting around on the beach, just coasting through life. You're not, you're not just waiting for Jesus to come back someday, which he is. You said, I'm going to be a part of rescuing people. And so the challenge I'm going to give you today is I'm going to ask you to be one of these people. Will you be one of these people who, arm in arm, decide they're going to help rescue somebody else? Will you do that? Will you decide that I'm going to get busy for his kingdom and his purposes? Or the other person you can be in this picture is this person that's out here, and I'm okay with this, by the way, is that person who's barely making it. They're struggling. They're going to drown. I just want to tell you, if you're this person out here, you're in the right place. This is where you need to be if you're this person out here. Because in this room, there are people who understand what you're going through. They've experienced the depression that you're experiencing, and God has comforted them, God has helped them. And they're linking arms with others to be able to help you out. They've experienced the sin that you're struggling with, the addiction that you're going through. They've experienced all these things. And here's what you need to understand, that if you're this person out here, you are not alone. There is a group of people called life churchers or whatever, lifers, that's not a good term either, uh, that are basically linking arms saying, we are here to help you. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. If you're Cedar Rapids, I ask you to stand as well. And Wilton, if you'll stand as well. If you're here, if you're here today and you've, you're that person, you've been pulled out to sea and you're struggling, maybe you've never, maybe you're here, you've never actually given your life to Jesus Christ and I, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Or maybe you're here and you have in the past, but you find yourself kind of going off in a different direction, not really serving him, not really committing yourself to him and now you find yourself pulled out to sea as well. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to just simply confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Ask him to come into your life. See, if you were out 
pulled out by sea. What is the natural response when you're about to drown? You cry out for help, right? You don't just stay there and say, oh, I'm about to drown, but I don't want, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that people might think I'm going to drown here, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> or I got myself in this issue, I got myself in this problem, so I'm going to have to figure out how to get myself out of it. No, you come to terms with the fact that you can't do anything on your own. You come to terms with the fact that you're drowning, and without help, you're not going to survive. And so you cry out for help. And so when you accept Jesus Christ, when you ask Jesus to come in, this is exactly what you're saying. Jesus, I need your help. I can't break this addiction in my life. My marriage is falling apart and it's all my fault and I need your help. I can just go on and on. It's crying out for help. And he's there. Amen? Amen. So let me just pray for us this morning. If you are here and you need comfort from Jesus, you need comfort from God, if you want to give your life to Jesus, today is the day. Don't wait anymore. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for who you are. You are the, you're the Father of all comfort, the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion. You're the one who sees us. And Father, even though we may be going through trouble, through difficulty, through challenge, Father, you see us, you know us. And today, Father, we just simply, we just simply commit ourselves to you, Jesus. Today, Father, we surrender our hearts to you for the very first time, if that's true for us. Well, Father, if we're not, if we, if we are followers, but Lord, we've just been embarrassed, pride is hindering us from asking for help, God, will you help us to, to humble ourselves, to put the pride aside and ask for help, to just be honest. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Father, for the lives that you're transforming. In Jesus' name, amen.